Welcome to another episode of the JMS Podcast. We have a great episode today. We got musician Rafi Espiritu here at the JMS Podcast. And at the end of our conversation, he plays an acoustic session. A great song. He doesn't mention it, but the name of the song is called We Moved On. And consider what we talked about, it's very fitting. Very much. And the song I will play at the intro, after this intro at least, is called You Kick the Shit Out of Me. That's a, a new song of his that's going to be on his next album. Something to look forward to. Ralphie met this guy at the Frascati Open Mic. He's a great musician, great songwriter. And he's truly a, a gem to the San Jose music scene. He's very low-key. And I think that's very... That's totally him. He's low-key, but when he plays, he plays so good. And I hope the San Jose music scene takes notice of this guy. Because, man, they could learn a lot from this guy. But before we get there, it's a friendly reminder to please subscribe. Subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Let your friends know about it. Get to know the, uh, the some of the key players here in the San Jose music scene, in the San Jose comedy scene, and the San Jose poetry scene. You name it. Big shout out to Joe for recommending to get Ralphie on the podcast. Joe, I very much appreciate it. I appreciate anybody who directs me towards talent and to get to know them here at the podcast. Because that is the whole goal. That is the whole goal. I got a show coming up this August. I keep saying August. I mean July. I feel like my head is still like way ahead of its time for some reason. I keep thinking August is, is we're in August. It's stupid. Nope. Before we get to August, I have a big show on July 29th at the Improv. That's right. Finally made it to the big time, people. The San Jose Improv, July 29th, 7.30 show. I got some free tickets. If you can get tangible free tickets for me, all you got to do is go to the box office and say my name. I don't mean that in a, uh, what's the guy from Breaking Bad? Walter White. But uh, say my name at the box office, Jorge M. Sanchez, or just say the name of this podcast, JMS Podcast, and you'll get in for free. That's right. You'll get in for free to watch the show I'm in this Wednesday, July 29th. It starts at 730. Please come out. I'm, I'm so happy. It's my improv debut here in my hometown of San Jose, and I would love for all of you guys to be there. And come say hi to me after the show. I would love to take pictures with you and all that jazz. And uh, for those who haven't seen my comedy, it's a great way to see my comedy, finally. Uh, So, again, July 29th, it's this Wednesday, 7.30 show. And pretty much, yeah, just say my name at the box office and you get a free ticket in. Now... You do, you know, it's a comedy club. And comedy clubs, don't, they don't let you off that easily. So you have a two-item minimum. Uh, you know, of course, you know, that just means... Consider it as dinner, really. Because two items is just food and a drink. You'll be spending any, anywhere between 15 to 20 bucks. Uh, but it's a great way. I mean, not so bad. You'll see me. Yeah. And I assure you, I will do my best to make you laugh. August, uh, see, I'm saying August again. God damn it. July 29th. Got a big show. All right, let's move on to the interview. 
or conversation or whatever have you. And this song I'm about to play is called You Kick the Shit Out of Me by Ralphie Espiritu. Play the music, maestro.
All right, here in the studio we have Rafi Spiritu. Is, is, did I pronounce your name right? Yeah, right. yeah. It, it's, it's very it's, rare people pronounce it correctly, but you did marvelous. Did I? <laughs> is it because uh, the Latino? Uh, That's right. Really? I don't know, but yeah, you pronounce it very well. Is, is, is Rafi, is, is that short for something? It's short for Rafael. Rafael, okay. Yeah, it's one of the archangels. Right, right, uh, Rafael. But I'm glad to have you here. Uh, oh, I'm honored to spend time with you. And um, uh, you're a musician. I, I know you from Friscati Open Mics. As a hobby, yes, I, I do that. But I, I do work full-time as an entrepreneur. I run a small business. Oh, what kind of business do you run? Oh, we're in the facility management services field. You know, develop facility solutions for end users for facility managers stuff like that uh-huh uh, is that what is there a specific product that you, that you do or? Uh, services you know we provide facility staffing if they need space planner project manager facility manager facility technician you know so that's one side if they need software on how to manage work orders how to manage space how to manage these systems, the MEP systems, mechanical, electrical, plumbing systems. We have software tools to use to the very basic services like custodial services, handyman services. So how, it, how long have you uh, how long have you been doing it? Well, since 1991, so this is my 24th year. Yeah. Wow. So uh, tell me a bit about yourself. Uh, did you also grow up with music? Uh, of course. My parents are very musically inclined. My mother loves to sing, and my father plays a little piano. Both of my mom and dad, they play piano. So we all grew up with some kind of uh, exposure to, to music, yes. Then when I went to high school, college, you know, it was a seminary. And so they, you know, they have music, you know, in, in, in the church every time we have music so I was exposed to the Gregorian chant at that time ah Gregorian so, chant. chant yeah you grew up in, in a religious household it, it is uh, well my, my family is very religious but then entering the seminary that's very religious you are it's a formation for people wanting to be a minister or a priest okay and yeah. where did you grow up uh, in in the Philippines in the islands so I've got that influence of you know the tropical mood and flavor yeah monsoons yeah so that's reflected in my music but from Gregorian which is very you know traditional uh, when my mom went to England studied in Leeds got exposed to the Beatles music so she will be sending me tapes but even before these tapes got into the island right into the Philippine soil I was already listening to that kind of music. So from Gregorian, which is very traditional, I kind of got exposed to the Beatles music, which is also reflected in the way I write. It's interesting. And so you got a, a mix of gospel with rock and roll. With rock and roll and pop. And yeah. and then, of course, finally, I got exposed to people like you and the people in the <laughs> open mic, you know, with all kinds <laughs> of... We're, Stuff. we're nowhere on that level of Gregorian chants or of uh, pop and rock and roll. And that's the, that, that's the current level, you know, expose yourself to the vibes and the rhythm of 
you know, what is happening in our community. So that, to me, is a great influence. I Meaning, I've been part of the open mic circle for you know over a decade now. So I I play with my other buddies. I listen to what they do. So I think that kind of affect the so, way I think and the way I write as well. So do you feel like you're inspired by watching others? Of course, of yeah. course. You know, uh, inspiration is 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 interaction. It is intersubjectivity. You know, you write about something, about people, about your own experience, as it relates to people's experiences. So it's very interactive, very engaging. Mm. Now you mentioned that your mother, she studied in Leeds. That's a that's a good university in England. Yes. Uh, what mm. did she study? Uh, economics. Economics. Economics, and then came back. She taught economics in one of the universities. So. Okay. And your father was also in uh, academia. Uh, she was in the in the lawyering field. No. Yeah. Well, but I, your father, though. My he, father, yes. He was in the academia. He was a lawyer. He was a. Um, he didn't quite make it as a lawyer, but he 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 went into a law school. Okay. But the war broke out, and I think didn't get through the whole process. But joined the what is now here the IRS, the the Bureau of Internal Revenue, in oh. the islands. So he was that was his, his kind of work, his wow. profession. Excuse my ignorance, but what war broke out in the Philippines? In the nineteen forty, you know, forty-five. Oh, World mm-hmm. War Two. World War Two. The oh, okay. second World War, way oh, okay. way back. Yeah. For some reason, I thought of recent times. I was like, oh, I didn't know about. No, this. no, no. Recent is uh, you and me now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, where you were you born? Were you born during the World War Two era? Uh, just slightly after that, you know. So I go way way back. Yeah. Okay, and uh, at what age? So it looks like music was already an influence in your household. Yes. How about playing an instrument? Was there anybody in your family playing instruments? Um, yeah, we have a piano in the house, so at least that was an influence to some extent. But when I went to high school and college, you know, we have, you know, we've got piano there too, and you know, my classmates had their guitars. I, I didn't have money to pay for a guitar, so I was borrowing guitar at that time. But I wanted to learn it. When I was exposed to the Beatles music, that that is what prompted me to pick up a guitar and. And learn how to play it, so I can I can play the song and sing the song, without having to wait for somebody to play it for me. What is it about the Beatles that you felt uh, inspired something in you? I, I think that they were thinking out of the box. The way they were singing, the you know the way they, they were so playful, they were so flamboyant, and uh, was challenging the the way people play and write music, and and that affected me. A lot, so I, I always look forward. What what is the next tune? And they were always in the top of the chart, so it it was high in my awareness at the time to you know to learn more about their music, not to emulate, you know, not to like as if I want to play like them, sing like them. But that because of that influence, I just found myself like you know almost falling in the same vein. Do you have any other musical influences? Uh, well, you know, that at oh. the time you you had the Bee Gees, you have uh, um, the Zombies. Oh, Zombies, great! Yeah, great. Zombies, and then especially doing a Heartbreak. That's a great out, like great band to listen to. As you know, right? The zombies, uh, as I know, yeah. That's right. So, so that kind of influences as well. Yeah. yeah. The theme, the subject, the delivery, the presentation—they all become a part of us. Uh, consciously or unconsciously, it's become part of us. 
and uh, pretty much so tell me a bit how you got like at what point we were like I'm gonna play the guitar and like actually perform oh that came a lot later you know we, we go to school we focus on school but on the side I started writing stuff but it only came when I was introduced by a friend who came to visit us here and he said Rafi there's this place called an open mic I said what is an open mic is it an, a mic that is open <laughs> so he said no just come with me and then he said but we need to buy a guitar so we went to the guitar center and he said yeah okay let's let's now we have a guitar let's go to that place so it was a place in Bascom it was a I can't even remember the name of it but it was the South Bay folks managing that open mic way back in 2001 hmm. right and and so I uh, together with my friend James Jimmy Bourne we went there and and we signed up and that was my first time I, I, I I've been playing the guitar but that was my first time to play in the open you know in front of a, a group of people and I, I that was my first and I, I tried to give it my best and I could not I could hardly finish the song my knees were trembling and but I survived it and that was the first then I came to know that there is a regular schedule like every Thursday they have that open mic and starting from that moment on I, I started you know showing up and participating it, it kind of induced me to start writing again I used to write when I was in college on the side but when I was exposed to the open mic then I started kind of reinvigorated my passion for for writing songs and but this time it's not only writing song but really performing it oh. and you said we say you're writing in college are you referring to music or were you into any other writing formats like poetry no it's, it's, it's really music it's, it's, it's music in fact after I left uh, college when I when I was taking my masters uh, I had to spend time in the church you know to serve in the parish so I became a, a member of the choir and the music at the time was very boring right so I started writing a different sets you know the influence of the Beatles you're writing different hymns and psalms it's the same it's, yeah different different uh, the whole mass from entrance to recessional I, I I wrote a whole set but with, with the Beatles influence which was annoying to the other of the parishioners were right. uh, on a more traditional senior level at that time you know when I was writing those songs it, it, it was very popular with the young kids so I was attracting a lot of young people to attend the church so it was kind of cool right right and the whole church the whole choir you know we were playing those kind of music and we were so excited because it's a little bit more you know lively and right you know the beat is different in some ways you did exactly what the Beatles did the Beatles when their song came out traditionalists at the time were like what is this music but the young people were digging up the Beatles and that's what you did at this church in, this, <laughs> in a micro level at the micro you level you started a revolution in the church and music wise music wise yeah but anyway, like, that, that's just how we do. But there's something yeah. special about that because uh, you made the music more upbeat and uh, and relatable to the to to the generation that's in the church. Yeah, right. And I feel that's a key factor when it comes to uh, uh, religious music. Like for example, the gospel. You know, I'm, I'm talking more like southern. Yeah. Uh, uh, churches. 
Methodist churches. Yeah. How, you know, a lot of that influence is in the blues, jazz, and even, mm-hmm. you know, uh, funk or rock and roll. And for, it's only, for me, it makes sense to evolve the music to its times. Yep. Whether it's religious, not religious. Well, it depends. But the point I'm trying to make is it's fascinating that you caught on to that. And you uh, really made, I'm assuming, because I think you're a great writer and great musician, something really great. And it carried through. So what I write about, for example, since we are here in the center of the computer you know, revolution, so the kind of music I write about will be kind of experience that we, we have here in the valley. So I have a, a, a block of songs about Silicon Valley. You know, like I wrote about Silicon Dream, Digital World. I have a Facebook song, The Where Were You, which is about texting and uh, stuff like that. So that's a big chunk of what I've been writing about. Uh, and, and then, of course, that's on the Silicon Valley side. And the, the rest are our personal experience, experience of our people close to us, you know, whether it's a love song or, or the lack of it. <laughs> when did you move to Silicon Valley? Uh, this was way right back in 86, yeah. 86. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The first tech boom? Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah so been, I've been, been through like now. Three tech booms by now? Uh, three, three tech booms. And in, in, in every tech boom, I capture uh, the mood of the times. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, do, do you see a, a certain uh, trajectory evolution of the tech booms that passed here? Like, how, how would you describe the first tech boom to the second one, to the third one, and their differences? I, I think there's there's um, similarities, you know, like uh, the, the first tech boom was about the dot-com era, right? So there's exuberance and people are just crazy about, you know, it's almost profit, you, you know, just spending left and right, attracting people from all over the world, right? And then it, it collapsed. And, and so that was a traumatic experience for not only for businesses, but for families. So that was... You know, the subject of my song was Silicon Dream, you know. We we always want to be part of that movement. And then it suddenly collapsed. Uh, you know, when we want to be a part of that, we we want not to be lagging behind from the other people. Everybody seems to be moving forward. But then when it collapsed, you know, we, people lost their homes, lost their s- savings and stuff like that. So after all, it's a dream. You know, it's just a dream. And so I wrote a song, Silicon Dream, you know, that we, you know, we have to be watchful of that. Uh, I also wrote at that time, Silicon Madness, because, you know, everybody is getting hooked up with, you know, being part of, of the web and stuff like that and begin to lose the human touch. You know, the fact, the way we relate to family, the way we relate to each other. So that was the first boom. Um, and then the second, uh, can't relate to what I was writing about. I, I think I, I started writing more about the more recent one, when about, you know, when we get into now this texting about Facebook, which kind of captured that same element of losing our soul, so that we need to be mindful of that, you know, uh, and go back to the basic uh, one more time you know, the way we need to relate to each other. Uh, the danger though right now, it, it almost like recaptured the exuberance of that first dot-com era, 
which I now begin to observe in a lot of these companies, you know, whether it's Uber, whether it's, you know, Facebook or LinkedIn or Google, you know, they create a lot of these amenities for their employees, right? They have parties again, all, you know, every now and then. Uh, but you never know at what point the bubble would bur burst and, and what type of displacement we can expect to see all over again, right? Just imagine all these people from out of state, out of country are mushrooming in Silicon Valley again, right? Rents have gone up and stuff like that. What if that bubble breaks again? You know, what kind of displacement we will experience all over again? You know, so that kind of affect the way I think and the way I write. And I don't know what would be the next song will be written. But you see signs of history repeating itself currently. Yes, um, you know it's 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 people forget lessons of the past uh, very easily. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, uh, this is not, of course, to stereotype the way businesses run their operation. It, it looks like some of them have learned from from the past and have become very prudent in the way they manage their resources. Now you mentioned that the uh, texting and, and that sort of uh, social media culture, I'm assuming you're you're talking about, has uh, devalued human soul. Is, is, did I get that right? Uh, it it can to to some extent if you are not uh, savvy enough or or critical enough on how to relate to technology, it can absorb you to the extent. Uh, you may believe that technology is an end all, you know. But if if technology is used properly, it, it serves a meaningful tool. But what I'm saying, as you can see, you know, people walking the street or having a meal, they're more attached to their device rather than having an eye-to-eye -eye contact, you know, with with people in front of them or even at home, right? So while technology has a meaningful use, uh you know, uh, there are there are a lot of downside to it if you if you are not mindful. Which is interesting because there's a uh, argument out there saying that because of our current technology, we're actually more connected to each other than before, and that and they're referring to the idea of being able to talk to somebody across the world in, in almost an instant, uh, and and which I find very interesting because lately I, I've been reading this book and. I could kind of find something to relate there because supposedly this guy has met a guy that's been all over the world, the Grand Canyon, mm -hmm. who's been to the Great Wall of China. But as he talked to him like much more, he realized that the same guy that's traveled all over the place did, didn't even realize or, or acknowledge the songbirds in his own backyard. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So in some ways, uh, the way I'm feeling how you're telling me is that there's people out there who use this, this technology to reach out there in the world and the internet but little are they do, do they notice of what's around them in, in close proximity. Mm -hmm. In effect, I think the internet uh, expanded the breadth of reach. Meaning, as you say, I know what's happening in Afghanistan, and I know what's happening in Greece, and and almost every part of the globe. Correct, but uh, it sometimes it pushed to the limit, you know, and and people are forgetful of the human touch, the human relationship. It may go to that other extreme 
that uh, you, in effect, without you knowing, become a victim of technology. And uh, so that needs to be raised every now and then that, you know, while it is dandy to have that, that we need to still go back to the basic, you know, to the human touch, the human interaction, the listening, the probing deeper into who we are as, 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 as persons. So that, that needs some kind of balancing there, you know, technology plus the intersubjectivity, the connection between subject with subject. Otherwise, it goes back to I am a, I'm a subject, I'm a person, but I relate to all other, other others as objects. So meaning we begin to objectify uh, not only people, but all other things. So. In some ways, I feel like we're just making ourselves products. Like we're just putting our put, putting ourselves on the internet, like you know, like you know, we put these profiles of who we are and we put like what we do. And it's almost like it's like you're you're trying to have them buy you, buy your friendship in mm-hmm. a sense. Mm-hmm. So it's it's, mm-hmm. a, it's like it feels like you're you're saying, hey, you know, I'm 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 this person. This is who I think I am. Yeah. Therefore, mm-hmm. if you're cool like me, you should like me on Facebook or dating websites as well. It's like oh, yeah. So mm-hmm. it, it, the whole the whole human touch. I can see where you're coming from now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's fascinating. Yeah. Uh, now you said you went to university. Did you go to university here in the U.S. I received some courses here too, but I I went to um, the counterpart of Santa Clara University in the Philippines. It's one of the top, you know. Oh, is that universities. related? Is that related to the Santa Clara University here? Yeah, the Jesuits. The, the Jesuits. So they they have a they have a, a university in the Philippines called Ateneo de Manila. I study philosophy. Philosophy. I study philosophy. So that's another part of me. That's oh, it's great. What kind mm. of philosophy you tend to gravitate towards? Well, I kind of like a combination of the existentialist movement and the phenomen, you know, phenomenology, and linguistic analysis. So these are bits and pieces of those type of ways of thinking. Kind of, you know, I kind of like. Is there a specific philosopher you tend to also read more, or at least uh, consider? Someone to look up to more. Well, after I, I finished my college and, and my masters, my focus has really been to live my life. You know, to re- live my life and and reflect on it. Meaning, I, I kind of applied the principles instead of reading more and more of you know those great philosophers. I, I kind of wanted more to know more about the real fabric of life and and be critical of you know how how I live how I think and stuff like that so I, I was not really more into reading more books I was drawn more into playing my guitar so you, you're <laughs> and, creating your own philosophy uh, that to me is the way I would love to apply my 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 philosophy is just to live my life to the full be critical of it share my experience, understand how people think and why they think the way they think. So it, it's more a, a way of relating to the world in a more critical way. So that that's how I kind of apply philosophy. Was philosophy a, a popular major in the Philippines? Not really. So what, what got you into it? Well, when you go to the seminary, it's a mandated course. You know, you, 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 get, you, you take all those 
subjects, you know, very heavy, of course, in anthropology, sociology, literature, but at the core of it will be all these philosophy subjects like cosmology, philosophy of religion, science, history of philosophy, and stuff like that. So I kind of enjoyed it though, because it kind of allowed me to think a little bit more critically about history in the world. Yeah. And uh, so you studied over there, and then did you? You said you studied a bit over here as well. Yeah, I studied like I went to study more about more practical courses here. So I went to study program. I went to study a, a course in the University of Minnesota, and then over here, you know, study about facility management courses. I got my credential as as an FMP uh, that allowed me to be more efficient in what I do, running my own business. Yeah. Yeah, the, I'm going back to the philosophy major. I have a, because since it wasn't very popular over there, was your family supportive of that decision? It was. They were very supportive of me becoming a priest. Really? Oh, I'm sorry. My, my pen just broke. <laughs> sorry. Wow. No, that's a, all right. a priest. That's, yes. That's fascinating. Uh, so, were you geared to becoming a priest at first? Well, when I went, you know, when you enter the priesthood, you you go through the all levels, high school and college, right? So there was somebody from. Um, that particular religious sector that came to visit our school and talk about, you know, the priesthood and kind of affected me. I said, you, you know, as a priest, you'll be able to help people. You can, you will also be able to go to places where people need help and need to be closer to God. So they were showing pictures of people from Africa and this and that. I said, oh, I think I love doing that. And that prompted me to, to uh, write the rector of the school and said, you know, I, I'd like to know more about your school. Got an invitation. And true enough, when they gave us a tour of the seminary, they have a swimming pool, they have a nice soccer field, basketball. The classrooms are all very well organized. They have a very nice libraries. They told us about the teachers who came from, mostly from Europe and very, a lot of them have PhDs and that. I said, wow, I think this is a lot better place for me to study, have fun, and, and be exposed to all, all, all this kind of sports. And so that was it. And, uh, and I enjoyed, you know, about eight years of my life uh, in the seminary, complete my high school and college. After that, I went to the Santa Clara University counterpart in the Philippines for my master's. And, but during that time, it was a, a period of revolution. See, I I got introduced to the Beatles, right? So my thinking was really like to be a little different, right? And uh, so going back to the seminary was not as attractive as being part of that open community. You know, I became part of the parish. Uh, I, I started writing songs, which is different from what other people write. So I pursued that and I ended up not going back to the seminary and that started a whole new career path for me and until now you know so it, it went into a different direction so professionally and then of course musically you know th these are the two different aspects of me uh, that kind of evolved over time and I, I just tend to adjust to what I perceive to be irrelevant. Do you have any brothers and sisters? 
I've got six, and we are six siblings. I've got, wow. I'm the third in family. All of them are here except one of my brothers. Is the one running our small business in in the Philippines? Any of them also in music? Everyone loves to play music, so. Uh, but I. Yeah, like a family band by any chance. We we do say every time we get to get together, you you know we always jam, jam <laughs> in the <laughs> piano. I play the guitar, so it's, it just runs in the blood. Yeah. And. Uh, and they all work here. I'm assuming they're all here. They're all here. They all work. They all work. They all work. Family here. We have a big, big family. Um, so, uh, going back to your writing, because uh, I, I listen to your music, and you're, I, I'm, I, I think you're a great writer, and I think uh, from what you've already talked about, it's because you write of what you see and how you perceive things. Mm-hmm. And for me, I'm a big fan of that. And for me, like now, like I just started music myself. And mm-hmm. for me, when I write, it's mostly on that level. But you do a comedy too, right? Uh, yeah, I do stand up. Stand up, yes. you know, yeah. No, I remember you. You're a funny guy. Oh, am I? Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah, I get nervous because I never know if someone thinks I'm funny or not, or they're just being nice and laughing. I don't know. But but music, it's a whole different game, especially uh-huh. writing lyrics. And for you. You mentioned uh, you already mentioned some music uh, inspirations, but writing wise, it's it's a lot of ways it's very poetic. Were you into poetry? I've never been into poetry. You know, when you write songs, of course, you make sure that it kind of rhyme, kind of have a cadence and stuff like that. So, uh, I think because I listened to the Beatles a lot, you know, so maybe I just was influenced the way they were writing, and I write more or less in a similar vein, but. I've never been a poet, you know. I never write as a poet. Or just write lyrics that fit my rhythm, fit the harmony and stuff. Yeah. Just the subject matter that you cover, are are they have substance to them? And and for me, that's what adds on to your music even more. Mm-hmm. Is that you're not just writing a song; you're writing a song with a purpose. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, uh, recently. Uh, and you're also humorous as well. You know, you have some pretty fun. You know, the the, the uh, there's a song you wrote about getting kicked in the ass from love, I believe. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and then you switched over to a song you wrote recently about the uh, the Charleston shootings. Yes, yes, yes. And, and about Dylan Roof. Yes. Um, and so it's like, wow, it's like you're you're all over the radar. And has that always been with you, or do you feel like you've evolved from when you first started writing? I've always. You know, being watchful of what is happening. So, uh, so when when there is a particular event like September 11, I wrote immediately after that event. I wrote a song about it. When the Palestinians were bombed and a whole village was wiped out, I wrote a song about that. So anything that really affects me, like lately. Uh, you know this murder in in the church in South Carolina. Of course, that's in on top of our awareness, not only mine, uh, and it's dramatic. You know, it's a it's a historic event, the Confederate flag coming down, and and family trying to forgive this guy. You know, th- those are uh, not ordinary events, and it kind of affects me as a person. And so my outlet is to express that, write about it, and. And then the good thing with the open mic, it becomes a good outlet for you to share it, right? And improve on your art, on your craft, and uh, make something out of it, yeah. 
And I don't know the whole shooting at a church. It's, yeah. It seems on so many levels uh, troubling, you know, because a church mm-hmm. is a place of safety. You would assume, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. throughout history, you know, there's there's church bombings. There's sure. Mm-hmm. There's um, and you coming from a from that background. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's your take on that? Meaning, um, you know, racism, uh, unequal treatment has always been an issue. And come to think of it, you know, in we are in a, one of the most advanced civilization, right? But despite that, uh, that continues to be a very pervasive issue. We never, despite Obama being president and being a black African-American, right? Despite that, the advances that we made in improving race relation is almost insignificant token. So we have still a lot of things to, to, to work on. What do you feel is the biggest factor that's hindering us from moving forward? I think it may relate to vested interest. You know, people who benefit from being in control of where they are. You know, people who are already powerful and rich and stuff like that would rather keep where they are. And uh, so that mentality is something that they would like to preserve and to maintain. And any attempt to to change that will be met with a lot of resistance. But what happened in Charleston was kind of unique, you know, because now this became a national issue right you have a, you know families who uh confronted this guy you know who wanted to launch a race war right who wanted to launch a wage war but you know when uh they confronted him uh, you would expect that they will be vengeful hateful you know really uh, demonstrate a lot of hate but but on, on you know they didn't do that they were forgiving they were the, they look at him straight in the eye and forgave him and and now this guy is now wondering why and this kind of affected the whole community it affected the governor the senate and every, every everybody there was a revolution of reaction to what happened so in a way uh, Dylan Roof his biggest contribution was to bring down the flag and make uh, people more aware that the time of preserving slavery is over. But again, that that is only a single event. A lot more work needs to be done. Yeah. Yeah. There's something about the notion of forgiving those who caused great harm to you. Yeah. Something I find I respect. You know, an event happened years ago that made me cry. When I heard on the news, I believe it was a guy that went into a school uh, during the Amish. Uh, a guy outside the Amish community went into the Amish community with the gun, and he tied up the school children, mm-hmm. and he started shooting them, you know, execution style. It was mm-hmm. a hostage crisis. Yeah. And keep on, this is the Amish, you know, they sure. they're not tradition, yeah. traditional violence, you know, mm-hmm. stuff. They're doing their best to stay out of the current, you know, technological world. Well, this guy comes in, kills them, and the first thing the Amish have done is to forgive them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I just cried. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I cried, and a, a part of me is almost 
you know, envy, almost like, you know, I wish mm-hmm. I had that strength. Because mm-hmm. I know if that would happen to me, I would never forgive such a person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, forgiveness is one thing and absolution is, is, is another thing. It does not excuse Dylan Roof having been forgiven. Uh, he has to account for his action, he, you know, meaning he's not right. We're not letting him go, you know, as, as you know, there is also what, what we call justice, right? Uh, we forgive you, yeah, you know, as, as a human, you know, being a believer in this and that. But we are not telling this guy that you're going to go away. You know, you have to account for what you did. Uh, but that, that's why in, in the song that I wrote, he probably was wondering why. Why are these people, I already killed, you know, nine people, and these families are telling me that they are forgiving me. That may be a revelation to him that how could this be possible, right? Well, I don't know the impact of of, of that event on, on him now, but uh, that might be something that he'd never totally expect. Okay. Now, uh, going back to your music, a common theme seems to be, like you said, like you write after uh, uh, certain e- events of hardship. And heartache. And heartache. Do you feel mm-hmm. it's something that you've had for a long time in your life, hardship? Has that played a role? It is, you know, as, as life is not a straight line, so it's always up and down, and so when we get a piece of high and low and... That is the one that triggers you to get my guitar, get a pen, and write something about it. And there's, of course, an, uh, it may not be all those high high points all the time. So it, it may be a simple event, you know, like like walking in a lake and, and you are just fascinated with how the sun rose that morning or the shadow of the trees on the lake. You know, things like that can can also influence you, and you can also write about about those those kind of stuff. One more asking if there's something that happened to you that that triggered this, because there's people out there that much prefer to acknowledge what this hardship, but then just continue writing music about whatever, while some are like refuse to ignore it and write a song about it. So I'm uh-huh. saying, at what point did this become a thing for you? It's it's almost like, if I can describe it, this default, you know anything that is of significance that affects me is a basis for writing something about it so whatever it is you know it can be a simple conversation it can be you know anything that that happens in society or in relationship that and and all of them of course are deeply personal i i don't think you can write about something that is not affecting you. There may be those that affect you more intensely than others. Uh, and, and what I, I, I experience is the more traumatic an experience is, the quicker you finish that song. And if it is just one of those mediocre, you know, feeling good or that, uh, you probably will come up with something, but you somehow cannot seem to finish it as quickly as the others. Do you feel like you've gone through some traumatic experiences? Of course. No, I, I think all of us do, and I, I, I did have my own share of that. In the Philippines or here? No, it's, it's all throughout, throughout. you know. Uh, but more so, I think, over here. 
you know, because this is an exciting place. So many things happening here. Feel like you've gone through culture shock? Um, to some extent, but I think the background that I have in philosophy kind of created a some kind of a, a higher threshold for relating to shocking events. Because the way I understood my philosophy, you should allow yourself to take distance, right? And look at things critically. So don't get too, too so immersed in what is happening that you, you cannot, uh, you, that you lose your balance. So to me, it's a relationship between me and the world, reflecting on that relationship and looking at it from a distance. So now I did my share of shocks, you know, whether it's a personal breakup or a traumatic event out there, like like September 11th, that's a shock, right, to the nation. It's a shock to me too. Uh, watching the plane hit, hit, hitting, the, hitting the buildings, and you know there are thousands of people in that building and watching it, uh, as it happens, you know, c collapsing. Oh, that that creates um, an uh, an impact on 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 us. Yeah. Where were you on September 11th? I was in in the condo, and uh, I had a uh, roommate who happens to be Japanese, right? It took somebody from Japan to call her and say, hey, there is something on TV, there's something happening. And then, then she knocked on my door and said, yeah, Rafi, let's, there's something happening. And then we opened the TV and true enough, you know, we watched that. I watched it almost blow by blow. And I tried to capture that moment in, in a song, which was hard to play at that time. You know, nobody wants to be singing about it. Right. So it took time, I think a year, two years after that, that I started really wanting to play it and share it. And I don't really play that song that often. So, yeah, it's very traumatic, yeah. Let me see. Now, because uh, no, I remember when I was in September 11th, I was... I Where was, were you? I was, yeah. I was in sixth grade. Okay. And then uh, I remember the teacher, the vice teacher, the vice principal came into the class turned on the TV and here's like a bunch of sixth graders watching the, they, they made us watch the towers being burned yeah yeah and to this day, I don't know why well I guess but pretty much and I was confused I was like hey you know this is a, a weird educational movie because um, you know I still I still didn't process what's going on and I don't think any of us did in that classroom except for the teachers mm -hmm. and as soon as the, the second plane hit yeah uh, they turned it off Mm -hmm. And they gave, uh, you know, that a, 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 they said, hey, you know, if there's any counseling, counseling, uh -huh. you know, there's, it is. For, we're sixth graders. I didn't know. I was like, <laughs> that was a weird, you know, <laughs> movie. It's, and then they, they let us go home. And when I when I got home, it was, it was my dad watching it. But my dad was watching the Mexican TV channel. He was watching <laughs> the American ones. And the Mexican TV channel, like the news, they were showing stuff that the American news were not showing. Because the Mexican news channels were showing people knowing that they're going to die, you know, above the fire. So they would jump off mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. commit suicide. Some of them were even couples where they would jump off together holding hands. Mm -hmm. And and so for me, well, well, then like people, of course, you know, the American news did not show that. So walking in, my dad was freaking out. He was calling people all over the place and 
And at the time, I had, I still did, didn't process it. I was like, that's, that's, mm-hmm. like, you know, they told me that, you know, quote unquote, under attack now. Sure. And I, I, I think the first, like, late on the day when all, all was done, you know, the, the country that popped out was Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. And I didn't even know how to pronounce Afghanistan. <laughs> I said Afghanistan. Yeah. You know, I, I, and, but definitely, and, so that was my experience on September 11th. September 11th, yeah. yeah. And uh, too bad I didn't know how to write music at the time. Mm-hmm. Talking about music. Uh, I'm going to a different uh, phase okay. now. And that is pretty much... Uh, are there any tips do you give to young musicians? Like, if someone wants to ask for any tips? Well... <laughs> Not really. I don't know. <laughs> Just keep playing, huh? Just keep playing. Keep <laughs> writing. Write. Write and play and share. And listen to other people. See, the sharing part is probably the hardest part. Right? It, it, it is the, the hardest part. But again, it's a choice you make. You, you know, if you want to perfect your art, you've got to overcome that fear, that sense of fear. And you will never overcome that unless you do it. Like... I had to go to the Toastmasters Club to overcome my, my fear, you know, in public speaking, right? And but I had to make the choice because I want to be able to communicate better to people. So I had to go to the Toastmasters Club. And there is this West Coast songwriters. I want to be influenced by people who are a bit more advanced in their craft. I joined the song, the West Coast songwriters. It's a tip for me. If you are into, if you feel that you you have the talent and you've got to wanting to perfect your talent, surround yourself with people that are, uh, you know, are doing the same thing, who are a bit more advanced than you are. Collaborate with them uh, and do it. You know, the, the the key word is do it. You know, write. No matter how lousy you think you you write. No matter how lousy your harmonies are, just start writing and then perform those songs and let it out. Let it out. Like I was nervous. I, I didn't finish my two songs the first time I did it, but it did not deter me from doing better the next time. So my nervousness over time dissipated. And that's how it is. And just keep singing, keep writing, keep doing it. And uh, for the most part, uh, the music scene in San Jose, what's your take on that? Interesting. Because if you look at the different op- open mic settings, it looks like everyone has his own unique flavor. Uh, if you go to South Bay folks, you know, these are a bunch of baby boomers. So the kind of songs they play and the style belong to more or less, you know, a, a, a uniform uh type of music then you go to a coffee trees or poorhouse bistro or you know or you go to saratoga um blue rock shoot or go to red rock there is that kind of you know the audience that they attract and the songs people play in those venues they have a kind of a certain dis- distinctive characteristic uh Having said that, of course, there will always be a layer. You know, you can go to any open mic and play whatever you want. Right. right. Uh, some open mic allow for poetry. Some others, you know, rarely do you find a poet uh, sharing. 
but by and large, that's the, the beauty of what we have here in South Bay. You know, you, almost on every day, there's an open mic happening. And uh, so if you are into this, uh, it's just a matter of whether you have the time, the leisure, the passion to expose yourself more and more uh, so you can improve what, what you want to do. Okay, great. Now, uh, I believe you like to play a song for us. I don't know what song you think I should be playing. I don't know. Uh, whatever you feel. But before we get there, is there a place people can find your music? Or what's the best way you know they can follow you? Uh, actually, I need to work on that. I, I, it's not something that I've been actively promoting. The only way they can find me is actually in, in my Facebook. If, if you want to friend me. Uh, and at the right time when I want to... Uh, well, I have my, my album, they can go to CD Baby. Uh, I, my, my last album was Blowfish, but pretty soon I'm releasing an EP, you know, where I have this, you kick the shit out of me, you cheat so good, uh, rescue me, and, and then my Facebook song will be in my, uh, hopefully I, I, I can release it in a month, month or two. And uh, I will announce that in in Facebook. So this the EP in effect will be my third album. My first album was Romancing the Silicon. So a lot of songs about Silicon Valley. Blowfish is again a continuation of that, but Blowfish is more on that overload of information and data, and then it causes us to have nightmares. And so that was the 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 subject of that that song. Uh, and then now this final EP still continues the trend. It's like a, a phase three of my uh, love and life here in Silicon Valley. So. How long does it usually take you to make an album or an EP? This one, uh, doing the recording is it, it takes about two three visits to in a studio, but give yourself like a spread of about six months to finish, you know, an album. The first one was pretty quick because my arranger, um, I sent him the the songs and he already arranged them. When it's done, we just went to the studio and my job was to simply to sing uh, on an already arranged, you know, arranged song. And then I just bring other people to play the flute or harmonies and stuff like that. So it can be as quick as a two-month session for a whole album or it can drag into a year, depending on how much time and how much resources are, are available in support of your project, you know how it is. Great. All right. Okay. Rafi, thank you for coming. I'm looking forward. It's, let's play the music, Maestro. All along the road that we've been, sometimes pretty, sometimes mean. Peaks and valleys coming between, but we move on, move on, on and on, move on. It ain't easy, no fairy tale Cross that ocean, all that we care Sharks and whales came to scare But we sailed on, sailed on On and on 
we sailed on On and on Ooh, we sailed on Despite of it all 